Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies. Whatever time you may be watching this, I just want to give you a big welcome to our new series called Steady Love, God's Glue for Broken People. My name is Sarah Stiles, and it is an absolute joy to be a part of the women's teaching team. Grab your Bible, your pen for notes, and your coffee, or if you're like me, maybe a cup of black tea. When we hear the word love, what comes to mind? Maybe right now it's the love shown by our first responders or the love shown with friends on Zoom. But most often, I think romantic love is what comes to mind. Our culture and media have been saturated by its ideals and presence for centuries. In fact, I bet you could begin naming off famous couples until you run out of fingers. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, Samson and Delilah, Bonnie and Clyde, Titanic's Rose and Jack, Pocahontas and John Smith, uh, Elizabeth and Mrs. Darcy, or, or Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy, and even Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Our culture deems this romantic love the strongest there is. And, and while it is strong, did you notice that some of the, the couples that I mentioned uh, have stories that end in tragedy? Romeo and Juliet, Rose and Jack, Bonnie and Clyde, their love failed at some point. And I'm not saying that all affectionate love ends in this way, but even the best love with parents, with best friends, with family, will falter some days. And this summer series focuses on a love that is even stronger and more steady than the best love that our world upholds. We'll be looking at a Psalm of David's today, but before we turn there, I wanna give you a preview of where we're going. First, it's, it's possible some of you have heard of the Hebrew word chesed, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, I'd love to give you some insight into the word that's only three letters in Hebrew, but through our God has the power to transform your life. Then we'll dive deep into a song that David wrote with raw emotions and a plea to be saved from the deep darkness that he felt. So first of all, what exactly is hesed? Well, like I said, it's a three-letter Hebrew word most frequently translated as steadfast, love. It's where we actually got the title for our summer series, Steady Love. And depending on its context, it can be translated as kindness, unfailing love, mercy, loving, loyalty, faithfulness, and loving kindness. That's a lot packed into a three-letter word. Most often, this steadfast love is sourced in the Lord. And if the Lord is the source, his faithfulness, too, is often close by in context. He promises this love to generations of his people. It is a covenant love, a zealous covenantal love that sticks close by and promises to remain. It's used 245 times in the Old Testament, most often appearing in the Psalms. It first appears in Genesis with Abraham, and lastly in Micah, referring even then towards God's love towards Abraham and his descendants. It's a love that appears in redemption from enemies and troubles and in redemption from sin. In Psalm 57, when David is hiding from Saul, who was trying to kill him, David wrote of God's hesed, for your steadfast love is great 
to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. The Lord's chesed is often in context with those who love and obey the Lord as seen in Psalm 103, which also is written by David. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. This love is described as kind, as good, and it's everything we're looking for in love. Hesed is also a communicable attribute, and a communicable attribute is an attribute of God that humans can also display, like joy, patience, self-control. So with Hesed, it appears uh, in the Old Testament as a love believers can give both to each other and to God. For example, in Hosea 6.6, 6, God says that he desires Hesed from his followers rather than sacrifices given with no thought or obedience behind them. And in the book of Ruth, Boaz displays his kindness in Hesed with providing work for Ruth. In this summer series, we're not gonna cover all 245 uses, thank goodness, but I'm pretty sure most of those uses are in Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is the Psalm in which every other phrase is, his love endures forever. There are other Hebrew words for love, but we've handpicked five stories from the Old Testament that Hesed appears in. And in these five scenes, we'll see how God's Hesed can greatly influence our depression, our prayers, our loneliness, our confusion, and our friendships. It's always good to be reminded of God's love, but this teaching team knows this year has been unlike anything we've ever experienced with the coronavirus. Before this virus hit our nation, our teaching team had actually already decided on this series, which goes to show that God knew what was coming and he knew you would need to hear these five scenes from the Old Testament. And these five scenes will study people who walked through seasons of depression, loneliness, confusion, tested friendship, and waiting on the Lord. I know some of you have been hit hard during this time you may have lost your job. You might be a full-time working mom who is now homeschooling two littles at home. Some of you are dealing with pain and illness now, or perhaps you've dealt with it over the years. Many of you have felt extreme loneliness for years. And I know some of you are living under the unjust treatment of abuse when love was promised. Many of you are mourning the loss of uh, those you love in recent death, or maybe you're still mourning the loss of someone who has passed um, years ago. Many of you uh, might even be questioning your faith or doubting God's goodness. I think we all undoubtedly can agree that this world is broken. When you feel weighed down, emotionally depressed, or even feel like you're shunned or forgotten by the Lord, how do you work through that darkness? When a difficult time or dark season settled in as an unwelcome guest, how do you treat it? For anyone who lives in a broken world, this message is for you. And I'm proud of you for taking the time to dig into God's word. When we are struggling in a dark season, our weighty prayers can find their resolution in the love called Hesed. We will see that today in Psalm 13, so open up there now. 
I would also encourage you to print off the lecture outline, the verse sheet, and the personal reflection questions. Pause the video if you have to, go print them off, uh, grab a pen, because using these outlines are gonna help you follow and uh, process what's said today. So Psalm 13, it's only six verses, so I'd like to read through it first. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Sounds like David was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Let's just say this wasn't some cheerful sunny day riding with a cozy blanket and a cup of coffee. To understand what's going on in David's world, I'd like to break this psalm down into three parts. First, look at verses one through two. What two words do you see repeated over and over? How long? How long, O Lord? This song is a prayer addressed to the Lord, and the words how long show that this groaning of David this despair and depression he was experiencing wasn't a short spurt of anxiety. It was a long period of time for him. Uh, the text doesn't say how long, but it's long enough that David begins to cry out to the Lord with the accusation, will you forget me forever? Thinking on these first couple of verses, uh, Spurgeon says, time flies with full-fledged wing in our summer days, but our but in our winters, he flutters painfully. A week within prison walls is longer than a month at liberty. Verses one through two display David's weighty emotions, desiring relief. How long will you hide your face from me? This idiom, hide your face, can mean ignore or withdrawing one's favor. Chuck Swindoll has some insights about these first couple of verses. He says, it was the length of the test that began to weary David. Let us remember that God not only designs the depth of our trial, but also it, its length. Chuck continues, in the first two verses of Psalm 13, David turns against everyone and everything except himself. What I learned from this is that when I try to handle a test in the flesh, I turn against God, my enemy, or my circumstance, rather than first asking the Lord what he is trying to teach me in this situation. What wonderful lessons God wishes to teach us if our proud hearts would only be willing to melt in the furnace of affliction. There is purpose in God's testing and in his timing. It's not only what happens in the waiting that matters, but the length of the waiting that God designs. In the delays, God desires our hearts, even when we can't understand why things are the way that they are. David is feeling abandoned by God, stuck in uncomfortable and dangerous days that have ushered in great despair. 
And in great irony, David's name means beloved. When will God intervene and make things better for David, the one named beloved? Now, some of y'all might actually be asking, okay, who is this David, and did God actually abandon him? As a quick summary, David was the second king of Israel. He followed the reign of a man named Saul, who actually was abandoned by the Lord's favor because Saul refused to lead the kingdom under God. So while Saul was still ruling Israel, God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint the teenager David, who was around 17 years old. But David didn't become king until about 13 years later. In fact, he had to wait a really, really long time, 13 years, that is a long time. During this time of waiting, Saul began pursuing David with the intent to kill him, to prevent someone outside his bloodline from taking over his throne. And for years, though David knew he would become king someday, he and his followers had to hide from the pursuit of Saul. In Psalm 13, David speaks of an enemy and foes in verses 2 and 4. The, the text doesn't say who the enemy or, or the foes are, uh, it's possible it is Saul, uh, but David also had many other enemies he felt oppressed by throughout his life. There were other nations who warred against Israel, and even David's own son, Absalom, would plot to take over the throne. The book of Psalms has 150 Psalms and multiple authors. Even Moses is an author of one, fun fact. They aren't in any chronological order, uh, so we can't know for sure who the enemies are of Psalm 113. In verse 2, we see that David is taking a look inside himself at the sorrow he's feeling. And again, we see the repeated, how long? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David has been communicating in extremes to validate his feelings. We see this in his word choices of, forget me forever and have sorrow all the day. Here, to take counsel in one's soul indicates David is wrestling with his own thoughts because he feels like God is not intervening, delivering him, or guiding him in what to do. David feels left to follow his own counsel. Uh, as I studied this passage, I noticed a, a weight in my own chest as my eyes followed David's words. Uh, though I've never had to face a physical enemy, as he has, um, I, I do know what it's like to walk through seasons of depression, despair, great sadness and loneliness, and, and wondering why God isn't changing my situation. It, it can be really, really hard to wait on the Lord. And during those times, a weight and a tightness can be felt in my chest. Things just feel heavier. And for David, the language he's using conveys he's feeling weighed down, consumed, rejected. Read the last part of verse 2, starting with how long. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Even this question uh, raises the visual of an enemy bearing down on him. So not only is he feeling forgotten by God and distant from him, notice that I said feeling, his heart is burdened with sorrow and depression all day, 
and he feels his enemy exalted over him. His enemy is winning. Where is God in this? I, I love how Eugene Peterson conveys what David is feeling in the first couple of verses. He says, long enough, Yahweh. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough, I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough, my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. And yet, though God feels distant, David continues to speak to him. Okay, let's pause the scene for a moment as I give you a little bit more background on who this David is. Uh, David was a musician and uh, a shepherd from a young age. And as a shepherd, the first enemies he likely encountered uh, in life were those of bears and lions who preyed on his sheep. Uh, you'll likely also remember the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. David was not uh, unaccustomed to opposition, but that didn't make it easier. However, he did learn to turn to the Lord and lean on his strength when David found himself in a tough situation. This is seen in scripture time and time again from his battle cry to Goliath to the times he delivered his flock from prey. Perhaps this desperate dependence is why David was called the man after God's own heart. As a musician, David wrote many songs, many of which are recorded in here. To him, it was a way of processing his emotions, much like our uh, journaling and our own prayers can be today. Many times I have cried out to the Lord telling him how I feel, <laughs> even though I already know that God knows how I feel. David writes in Psalm 139, one through four, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Ladies, God already knows how you feel. As God made David, he made you. He is able to understand your feelings better than you can, so take them to him. In Psalm 22, David once again speaks of feeling far away from the Lord. Listen to what he says in 22.9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. David recognizes that God was present at his birth and even calls him as God before he was born. Wow. This is the God that David cries out to. In our prayers, let's, let's speak our words out loud to him. Dave, don't be vague in your prayer. Be specific. Be bold. Be real. I, I know this might be hard of you, uh, for some in quarantine who want to talk out loud to the Lord when you have all of your family around or maybe a roommate around. Um, in seminary, I lived on campus, and there were many days where I wanted to talk out loud to the Lord, but... Our apartment was filled of roommates and other people, and so sometimes I would just go sit in my car <laughs> and cry out to him. But 
One day, I, I remember the parking lot wasn't even good enough. I had some anger and sadness that I really just needed to yell out, and even that parking lot on campus wasn't good enough. And so I uh, took a 15-minute drive to White Rock Lake and parked in a secluded area. Well, I, I thought it was secluded, but I had actually parked next to a trail. Um, but it lasted for a little bit. I could actually cry out to him. Um, but there was something about verbally crying out to the Lord, telling him exactly how I felt about a broken relationship that helps me process my emotions and feelings with his truth. And I felt heard by him. David gets to the truth eventually in this psalm that God really had not abandoned him, though he did feel that way. When despair and depression grab a hold, the door is often opened to let lies enter. Fight the lies by making known your raw feelings to the Lord. David says in Psalm 62, 8, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. A refuge is safe and trustworthy. Go to him in prayer because he is the one who can offer you an attentive ear and a secure love. As we see, he does for David in the next couple verses. So we leave verses one through two uh, wondering, where is God? David is asking this question of, how much longer until you change my situation, God? Look now at verses three through four. We see three imperatives, which are like commands, and then three lests, L-E-S-T, that follow these strong requests. Three imperatives and three lests in which David makes known his needs. Read verse three with me. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So these first three strong requests, consider and answer me, light up my eyes. In other words, David is pleading with God in desperation. Look at me, please help me, God. Deliver me. Where is God's hesed in this? Okay, this third request, light up my eyes. Have you ever pleaded with God, light up my eyes? <laughs> Likely not, but what this really means, um, and some translations say lighten my eyes, uh, it's, it's not like David is asking for lighter eyes or blue eyes or whatever. Really, it's a way of asking for counsel from the Lord, wisdom for what to do next. Uh, Charles Spurgeon also suggests, uh, here is an illusion that cheering of the spirit so frequently calls the enlightening of the eyes because it causes the face to brighten and the eyes to sparkle. David here is asking for great intervention. Light on my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David feels that if God does not intervene, he will die. Sleep the sleep of death. In, in the Bible, sleep could mean sleep, as we know it, nap, or it can refer to death. And we even see this in the New Testament when Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to wake Lazarus from his sleep. Lazarus was dead. David is fearing death here. In Psalm 13:3, we see the first of the three lests. 
These lusts are just another way of saying, God, please look at me and answer me. Or these things are going to happen. First, I will die. And then look at verse 4. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. If God doesn't intervene, he thinks my, my enemy will claim his victory over me and my foes will rejoice over my weakness. Now would be a great time for God to show up, right? Uh, I know there are days in your life where you think that and there are some days in mine where I'm like, God, today would be a great day for the rapture to happen. But honestly, any day would be great for the rapture to happen. What is the opposition that you are facing? Where do you need rescuing? Lord, do this, or else this will consume me. For David, it was a rescue from people who wanted him dead. For me, it's most often a rescue from myself from the lies I often believe about myself that seek to consume me. I'm worthless because I'm not accepted by this, or I'm not really loved or else I'd have this. I'm a failure because I keep doing this. A great professor at Dallas Theological Seminary would say to what I just said, there's a great Greek word for that, hogwash. It's not until truth intervenes and dissipates the lies in my mind that I begin to see through a different lens. The actual situation often doesn't change, but the truth cleans up my feelings and renews my mind. There's a reason why God has been telling his people for years, remember what I said, teach these truths to your kids. Proverbs 3.3 says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Be glued and devoted to God's hesed and faithfulness. The Apostle Paul says to the Romans in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So let's see what happens next with the man whose name is beloved when he's not feeling very loved in these first four verses. Where is Hesed? Okay, verse five, y'all. This is the all caps, italicized, bolded part where I need you to pay attention. <laughs> but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Whoa, talk about a major shift in this psalm. What a contrast. So in the Hebrew text, something unique happens here. And um, I'm about to get all nerdy on y'all. So and the Hebrew sentence in verse five begins with the subject. Y'all might be saying, so that's normal. Well, in English, it's normal for it to be subject and then verb. But usually in Hebrew, it's verb and then subject. But when the author reverses those, he's wanting to cause an emphasis on that first part. So here we see the subject first and literally translated it's, but I in your steadfast love. God's love is what causes the shift in this story here. Some of your translations may say faithfulness, mercy, or loving kindness instead of steadfast love. Hesed is all of those characteristics here. 
We also see that David calls his hesed trustworthy. A similar statement parallels this. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. It's not likely that between verses 4 and 5, God dealt with David's enemies. What is likely is that David called out to God in remembrance of his steady love, Hesed. This is what caused the shift in David's thinking, remembering the trustworthy faithfulness of God. David was loved. <laughs> he wasn't forgotten. The truth set his mind free. In 2 Samuel 7, 9, David uh, is told through the prophet Nathan, but my love, speaking of God's love for David, but my love in the word here is hesed, will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God promised to always give David his hesed. There are two words that appear here in verse 5 that we've seen before in another light. First, look at heart. Where else do we see this word in the psalm? Uh, back up in verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Whereas we see heart in verse 2 clothed in this weighty despair. In verse 5, it is singing a different tune, one of rejoicing in God's salvation. God's deliverance. We, we see another word in verse 5 that we've seen before. Rejoice. Rejoice. And whereas before we had seen it with David's enemies rejoicing over him and, and the anxiety that, that David was creating about what might, might happen, but later we see David himself rejoicing because of God's love. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for dealt bountifully or your translation might read uh, good or vindicates, can also mean to wean. Kind of weird, right? But I, I was confused too until I saw Psalm 131.1, which was also written by David. He says, I, I don't occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. What a picture of contentment. God is good and he deals bountifully with his people. Contentment can be found in him. Where there is hesed, there is hope. Psalm 137 says, O Lord, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. Though David has not been physically delivered from his enemies yet, he trusts in the Lord to do so, so much so that he begins to rejoice. He knows the God he serves, and in the face and fear of death, David grasps a hold of God's steadfast love. Often in the Psalms, we see major tone shifts uh, from what the author is feeling at the beginning to the truth and security of God by the end of the Psalm. It might be this way in your own prayers, as well, David first pours out his feelings, then he makes his, known, his needs known to the Lord, and then by the end, he is reminded of truth. God is a God of hesed. The truth of who God is is what shifted his mind. David didn't end his song with feelings of despair. 
He reminded his heart of truth, and then his feelings shifted. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Follow your heart has got to be one of the worst bits of advice. Feelings are real and they do need to be heard, but they don't always speak truth. They must be guided by truth. This, this is why Christ Chapel emphasizes the teaching of the word. It's truth. It's life-giving and life-changing and just as relevant today as it was when it was written. The truths in this don't expire. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So fill your mind with the life and the truth that it offers you. You know, you may be saying to yourself at this point, yeah, that's great for David that he found God and was able to draw strength from him, but you don't know my situation and I've already called on God. First off, I want you to know that the church is here for you. The, the body of Christ is full of people with struggles like you. We have stories like yours, stories of redeemed sin, stories of deliverance from toxic uh, situations with families, stories of depression, and stories of struggle, even now. So whatever you filled in the blank with, how long, oh Lord, will you let this happen? Fill the church in with what's going on. Even when David was running from his enemies, he had friends close by. In fact, um, we're going to see uh, in one of our five lessons that uh, David had a special relationship with one of his friends who, stick, who stuck close by with him. All that to say, reach out to the believers around you, to your small group leader, to uh, your mentor, to your friends who are following Christ, uh, to our ministry soul care here, or we have other resources at the church as well um, that you could benefit from. The body of Christ is ready and willing to walk alongside of you in your season of difficulty. And even better, the creator is at your side, the, the God that David calls out to in his prayer. This hesed that God offers to his people to step into, uh, I encourage you to step into it. Do you know God or do you simply know of him? Do you want the kind of relationship that this shepherd turned king had with God? God is trustworthy. David calls his hesed trustworthy, and so God himself is trustworthy. David rejoices in the Lord dealing bountifully with him. There's a word for this, it's called grace. Though David was a man after God's own heart, he was still a sinner, a human. <laughs> in his Psalms, he speaks of his sin. And in Psalm 38, 18, he says, I confess my iniquity and I'm sorry for my sin. And after committing adultery, David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Yes, that's Hesed there. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There's mercy in Hesed too. And God is a God who welcomes sinners, all sinners. 
Though Jesus hadn't come in David's day yet, David gave sacrifices to the Lord to ask for forgiveness. And these sacrifices held the place until the last sacrifice, Jesus, would come to pay for all sins. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The way to God has always been through grace. If you have received the salvation uh, already, rejoice. God's test is yours. Uh, but if you haven't, do it now. I plead with you to do it now. Even if you don't think you need God or you like things the way that they are, there are great things to come and great things that God does not want you to miss out on now. In regard to the things to come, we, the Women in the Word, actually just did a series on Revelation uh, in the spring. So check it out online if you want to know uh, what's to come. I want to encourage you to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sins. He took the punishment for your sins so that you could have real life and eternal life when you believe in him. Hesed is a three-letter word. While it can be translated as love, from what we've studied today, we see that the ever-present hesed is better than the ever-after love that I mentioned at the beginning. Proverbs 26, 20 verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. God's steady love has the ability to enter into any dark stains, any, any surfaces that are, are rough, blotted on your story. And his hesed has the trustworthiness that you are longing for in the, in the stretch of despair that's left you unsteady and desperate for relief. Though God does not promise deliverance from every situation in this life, he does promise two things for those who have placed their trust in God. First, himself. His presence that will never leave your side, that can never abandon you. And second, deliverance in eternity. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be more no, no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The life on earth is truly short, and eternity is what true believers in Christ are looking forward to and what they are living for. Like David, Christians will receive the deliverance we've been promised. No more enemies, no more death, no more despair, and we will see God face to face. In your dark season, how will you respond? You have a couple choices. Will you fall back on the broken love that a broken world has to offer? Or if you're fully trusting in anything else but God's love, oh, you will be failed at some point. Jonah 2.8 says that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Only God's hesed can be the glue that binds broken people into, into people of life, joy, and hope. But God gives you a choice. Let God's hesed into your, into your story, like it did the story of David. For me, in, in my struggle with anxiety and, and depression, I strive to spend time with the Lord, um, the same God that David addresses, because when I do, my thoughts change and are directed towards truth instead of lies. I don't know the stories of all of you who are watching, but I do know 
um, our world enough to know that some of you have recently lost jobs due to the coronavirus. I know some of you are being abused more. Um, others of you feel unseen. Some of you don't feel love. I know some of you wake up daily once again to face loneliness. And others of you are feeling quite hopeless. I, I speak of these things because David himself felt near to death. And his deliverance was only through God, so call out to him. So here's my application for y'all, okay? Scripture is here so we can apply it. So don't miss this. You can go grab that snack soon and watch that show later, but I need you to focus right here. Ready for the application? Pray like David. Pray like David. Be real with God. Don't worry about having to say certain words or to be heard by him. Jim Elliott, who was a martyr for the gospel in 1956, says, the saint who advances on his knees never retreats. So first, like David, pour out your feelings, all of them. Ask, how long, God? Have you forgotten me? Second, make known your needs to him. Intervene here, or else I fear this will happen. And lastly, end your prayer with God's hesed. It's trustworthy, it's secure, it's hope-giving, and it's steady. For you creative types, maybe you want to write a song like David did. Or for the rest of us normal people, maybe just <laughs> journal. Or maybe you need to go out in the cry, out in the car and to cry for a little bit. I challenge to you, pray. And in that prayer, pour out how you feel. Make known your needs to the Lord. And End it with reminding yourself of his hesed, his steady love. As we uh, close this time together, would you eliminate any distractions that you have by closing your eyes? I want to end with a prayer uh, from a book called The Valley of Vision. So close your eyes and listen to this. Sovereign commander of the universe, I am sadly harassed by doubts, fears, unbelief in a felt spiritual darkness. My heart is full of evil surmisings and disquietude, and I cannot act faith at all. My heavenly pilot has disappeared, and I have lost my hold on the rock of ages. I sink in deep mire beneath storms and waves, in distress and unrebel. Help me, O Lord, to throw myself absolutely and wholly on thee for better, for worse, without comfort, and all but hopeless. Give me peace of soul, confidence, enlargement of mind, morning joy that comes after night heaviness. In my distress, let me not forget this. All wise God, thy never failing providence orders every event, sweetens every fear, reveals evil's lurking presence and seeming good, brings real good out of seeming evil makes unsatisfactory what I set my heart upon, to show me what a short-sighted creature I am, and to teach me to live by faith upon thy blessed self. Help me to love thee as thy child. And in Jesus' name, we ask these things, your beloved. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen.